Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. You know, as we were starting thinking about uh, the Jubilee and all of that and, and the royal kind of uh, presence, you know, in our nation, and I was thinking about how would I react and respond if I had an invitation for a meal with the majesty. I wonder how I would explain. If you had it through your letterbox, how would you react and respond? Whether you're a monarchist or not, I guarantee you would be available, right? So when it says, majesty request your presence on the so-and-so, you're not going to have to check your diary and see whether they're in there. You're available. You're going to be focused. You're going to be organised. Even if you're not an organised person, you're going to be organised because when you get a royal invitation, Everything else is going to go into the background and you're going to be completely transfixed by that royal invitation, right? You've got one. Every single one of us has a royal invitation for a meal, not with the Queen, but with the King of Kings. The one who is above everything, the one who is the King and the ruler, he has sent and issued a royal invitation invitation to every single one of us. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you have been extended this royal invitation as well. And I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about one of the most powerful stories in the first part of the Bible called the Old Testament. It's one of my favourite stories. And it's a story about a guy called Mephibosheth. She's a great name, isn't it? We have had lots of babies born through lockdown, lots of interesting names. We are yet to have a Mephibosheth. That would be interesting. In fact, I'd love you to turn to the person next to you and just practice saying it. Mephibosheth. Would you do that? (laughs) And I, (laughs) having just, having, (laughs) it's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Having just honoured older people, I don't want to make any jokes about false teeth, but it's quite a tricky one. It's quite a tricky one, okay? But we're going to look at this story from the Old Testament and see what this means and what this actually means. The impact of this on you and I and the royal invitation that you and I have had. Because this character had a royal invitation himself. So we're going to look at some scripture together. 2 Samuel 9. David asked, David is the king, okay, the top man. David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now just... For a second, the word kindness. So Friday, Alison and myself were in this garden centre and as we were getting to the car, I noticed this lady uh, was trying to put her stuff in the back of the car and she got a big grow bag and it was heavy. And so I just went up and said, can I put that in the boot for you? And I put it in the boot. And she was overcome. She said, oh, you're so kind, you're so kind. I'm not saying that to big myself up. But I walked away. That's not what kindness is in this context. That's fine, helping her put a grow bag in the car. But when David says, can I show kindness? He uses a Hebrew word called hasid, which is literally the equivalent in the New Testament of grace and of agape love. It's the ultimate sacrificial, selfless, pouring out on behalf of someone else, love and grace. And David's saying, is there anyone left in Saul's house that I can show that kind of grace and kindness to? Now you need to understand something, okay? If you don't know the story, David and Goliath, everyone heard David and Goliath? You know that story, okay? When David kills Goliath, the king is Saul and all of a sudden David becomes the new hero and Saul becomes the enemy of David. And there's a whole war between the family of David and the family of Saul for decades. But Saul has a son called Jonathan who becomes best friends, united in heart and in spirit with David. 
And then later on, Saul and Jonathan both die on the battlefield. And under the law of the time, this is ancient times, when you were at war with a family, it didn't just stop, okay, when, when, when that person died. It went on family to family. You hurt me, I hurt you. You hurt me, I hurt you. It goes on and on and on. That's the culture of the time. Tragically enough, it's still like that in some parts of the world now. Let me just show you a photograph here. And um, this is Alona, my friend, her son Gabriel and her, son Vas- uh, her sister Vasca. And she has another daughter called Sarah. And many of you will know because Alona's been here in this church. But if you're newer, I met Alona and her husband Tani in 2004. They were young pastors and young parents in Albania, in the north of Albania. And Tani, uncle, had got into an altercation with another man and had killed him. And they live in a part of the world where they still practice the blood feud, like in the Old Testament times. And so for years, Tani and um, Elona uh, led the church, but had to lead it in secrecy. And in October 2010, I'm in a coffee shop in America, and I get a call that Tani had been shot and killed outside his church at one o'clock in the afternoon as part of the blood feud. And, and I've been with Alona visiting families that are still in the blood feud. I've sat in, 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 in uh, gardens of, of a family where their two sons were shot 60 times with machine guns because they were caught up in the blood feud. One was killed and one was, mortally, was wounded. And I've sat in the garden and I've listened to the stories of, but they hurt me and I'm going to hurt them. And, and it goes on and on through generation and generation and generation. And I sat there and I saw Alona's talk to the father. And the father said, how can you forgive those people that have killed your husband? And she said, I've forgiven him because God has forgiven me. And just a few months ago, Mark, who's the guy that killed her husband, um, the police came to Alona's door just a few months ago and said, we're going to release him early Are you okay with that? And the children said to their mom, of course we are, mom, because we've forgiven him. It's the power of grace and the power of kindness. And this is the context that David is living in. Under the kind of culture of the day, there isn't anybody in the house of Saul that he wants to show kindness to. He wants to wipe them all out. But David is filled with a different kind of heart. And he says, is there anyone left that I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Isn't that incredible? And so we go back to the story in verse three. There is someone, the son of Jonathan, crippled in both feet. And that happened because his nurse, when he heard that his father Jonathan and his grandfather, um, this is Mephibosheth, by the way, his grandfather Saul had been killed, the nurse picked Mephibosheth up and ran and dropped him. And as he dropped him, he was crippled in both of his feet. And David's probably going to say, well, I want to bring him to the the palace. And they're going to sit at a table with me and with my sons and daughters. And and, and you're saying there's, there's someone, but it goes on. Where is he? The king asked. Zibber answered, he's at the house of Makiah in Lodibar. These are ancient names, but Makiah means sold and Lodibar means barren, without land. So this guy, he's crippled in both feet. He lives in a place called sold that's barren with no land. You, you can just imagine maybe David said, are you sure there's nobody else? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like I want to invite him to, to, to the palace and he's going to sit at the table with me and with my sons and daughters. Is there nobody else? And this is a man that's lived all of his life with labels and stigma. And this is what, this is what David says in the next verse. Where is this son? Isn't that great? Where is this son? 
So, so this guy who's crippled with both feet, who's, who's living in fear, who lives in a place called barren, that's, that's without land, that's sold, that's, that, 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 that's, I call him a son. Mephibosheth lived with labels all of his life. So do you and I. And I don't know what label you live with right now, but I'll tell you what, God, the King of Kings, calls you son and daughter. He doesn't label you divorced. He doesn't label you single. He doesn't label you uh, unemployed. He doesn't label you whatever your label is. He doesn't label you mistake. He doesn't label you train wreck. He doesn't label you difficult. He doesn't label you struggling. He doesn't label you anything. He calls you son and daughter. And he invites you to come and sit with him at his table. And so David has him brought to the palace, carried to the king. And that's important. We'll come back to that. Imagine the tension as Mephibosheth comes in to the presence of the king. I mean, if, if you and I, okay, we've got a really big, um, famous um, pastor coming to, to do a conference here in, in a week's time, all right, who doesn't travel outside the country. He was voted one of the 10 most influential pastors on the planet and he's coming to this church. I think he thinks he's going to London, all right? But we just won't tell him that, all right? He's gonna end up in the black country. And I know how I'm feeling about all that. Imagine how you're feeling if you're coming to the presence of the Queen. Imagine how David uh, Mephibosheth feels as he comes into the presence of King David. Let's, let's read the story. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honour. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Now he's living in fear, okay? And, and, and David can, say, can see it on him because he says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Not only that, I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You see, he could have sent him money. Here's some Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Or I'll, I'll set up a trust fund for you. Or a pension so you'll be looked after. I'll sponsor you. I'll donate to you. And all of that's good. But David doesn't want that. David doesn't want just to send him money. He wants to invite him to his table. Isn't that amazing? It's just such a beautiful powerful story. And Mephibosheth knows that this is not what should happen. Justice for him should be death under the code that they're operating in. Mercy would be let off, but grace is what's being offered. Isn't that amazing? Absolutely amazing. And so Mephibosheth, who's called, who's found, who's carried, who's now brought into the presence of the king. Let's go back to the story. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's got some self-esteem issues as well, right? Haven't we all? Haven't we all if we're really honest? If we're really honest, if we're invited into the presence of the King of Kings who says, I want you to sit at my table like one of my sons and daughters, how many of us really say, are you sure that you'd notice a dead dog? like me. And David is so 
amazingly gracious. You know, in this story, if you read the story 2 Samuel 9, it's one of my favourite stories. Four times in the story, uh, David says, eat at my table, eat at my table, eat at my table, eat at my table. It's not enough, he says, for me just to give you money. I want you to eat at my table like one of my sons. So, That's the royal invitation that Mephibosheth had. What on earth has that got to do with you and me today? Let me give you eight things, okay? (gasps) It's usually three and that's long enough. I'm going to give you eight and they'll be quick. Number one, number one, we were all born into royalty. Every single one of us, when you look at the history of the world, we were all born and the Bible says we're all made in the image of God. But you know, number two, we are all damaged as a result of a fall, right? Mephibosheth was damaged as a result of being dropped by the nurse. The fall, you and I were all damaged because of the fall that you read about in Genesis chapter three when Adam and Eve broke their kind of reliance and trust on God and went their own way and we're all living in the result and the damage of that fall. Even the great apostle Paul, he says it of himself, what a miserable man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Number three, We all deserved justice. I did this to them a few weeks ago and they're going to hate me for this. But Tom and Hannah and and, and Laura, would you, Hannah's just gone, really again? Would you just come and stand here for a minute? Just give them a little round of applause. They're so willing and they're so, they're so, they're so loving this. I want you to imagine that all three of these people, and I know it's hard to imagine, they've all been stopped by the police for speeding. Like it's never going to happen, but I want you to imagine. But here's what happens, okay? Justice means that Laura, who has broken the law, gets a ticket and the penalty points. That's justice. Mercy for Hannah is that the policeman is feeling in a good mood that day, just gives her a warning and lets her off, okay? She gets justice, she gets mercy, Tom gets grace, okay? I I believe I picked the right one out, the three here. Because not only does he get let off, but the policeman says, and here's the keys to my brand new Ferrari. Receive it, look, brother, okay? Thank you, you can sit. That's the difference between justice, mercy and grace. Justice, you get what you deserve. Mercy, you get let off. But grace, you get way more than you ever deserve. And that's what's happened to you and me. When we say yes to the royal invitation, when we say yes to the seat at the table of the king, we get grace. Not only do we get, like, don't get justice and we don't, we get, don't even get mercy, we get way more than that. We get Grace. One of my favourite stories of all times, a story that a friend of mine, Jeff Lucas, tells. He's probably told it here. And uh, he's a, a pastor at a church in America. He's an English guy. And um, the church went through an amazing season where loads of new people came and became Christians. And it all started with a, a lady called Nikki. And uh, Nikki was having a haircut by this hairdresser in the church. And the hairdresser was a real evangelist. We've got one in our church as well. Okay. And so she was talking to Nikki about God and about faith, and Nikki was a stripper. And for some of you, I'm not talking about a painter and decorator, all right? I'm talking about a lady that dances and takes her clothes off, okay? Nikki was a stripper, but Nikki was intrigued, and eventually Nikki came to the church and gave her life to Jesus. And then it came time for Nikki to be baptised, all right? And we've got a baptism coming up in a few weeks' time. It's the best Best event, the best day ever, okay, is baptism. If you've not been baptised, you need to get baptised, okay? You really do. Anyway, Nikki comes to the church that day. 
not only on her own, but with all of her dancing friends and all of the bouncers from the nightclub. And they all turn up to church dressed in what they normally dress in when they're at the club. And Jeff tells the story much better than I can. He says, all the young men in the church signed up to be greeters on that Sunday morning, all right? (laughs) So they're all well excited, okay? And all of these dancers, strippers and bouncers came into the church And they weren't church people, so they didn't know where to sit. They walked down the aisle and sat all on the front row. And they all watched Nikki get baptised. And they're all... And at the end of the service, many of them gave their lives to Jesus. And at the end of that, a little old lady walked down to the pastor and she said to him, what you've done has completely messed up the church. And the pastor in his wisdom, and I wouldn't have been as wise as he was, okay? My response would not have been as wise as as his. His response was, do you know what? I think you're absolutely right. Will you help me sort this mess out? Because what these people need is grace. And you have that, don't you? Would you help me? And together, let's help these people who are finding Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That's grace. And you know, for us as a church, we are a church that welcome anybody and everybody, aren't we? And when people come in and I came into the church with my mess and my baggage and you did with your mess and your baggage, and what we do is that we don't extend justice or mercy, we extend grace, don't we? And we invite people, whoever they are, to sit around the table as God invites them. We all deserve justice, number four, but we all have a royal invitation. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient with you, isn't he? Not wanting anyone to perish or to die, but everyone to come. We all have a royal invitation, but an invitation without a response is pointless. The Queen invites you to a garden party and you just put it in a drawer and don't respond. It's pointless. But the King of Kings has invited you and me to a seat at the table, we all have an invitation. But number five, we are all helpless and hopeless. We can't get there on our own. It's not our IQ that sits us around a table. It's not our background. It's not our ethnicity. It's not our intelligence. It's not our achievement. It's not our salary or our bank account. It's what Jesus has done for us. It's what God has done for us that gets us to sit at the table. And Paul says it in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is, or it is, the gift of God. Do you know what? It's not hard to get to God. It's impossible without Him. And in the story, what's so beautiful is that David sends his servant Ziba to find Mephibosheth and to carry him there. That's a picture. All of this is a picture. David's a picture of Jesus. Mephibosheth is a picture of us. Ziba is a picture, a type of the Holy Spirit. Today isn't just Jubilee Day. Today is Pentecost. This is the day when the church globally celebrate the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit of Jesus was poured out And it's the Holy Spirit that finds us and carries us and takes us into God's presence. We don't come to God just on our own. And this might be difficult for you to get your head around. You don't come to God just because you've decided to come to God. You come to God because the Holy Spirit is at work in you. And you might not feel anything. And some of you who are new, I know a lot of you are newer to faith and that's brilliant. We love that. You're thinking, well, I don't feel anything. No, you don't, but something's happening. 
I sat with people recently who said, I've only been coming for a little bit, but something's happening. That something happening isn't me. It isn't us. It isn't the lights. It isn't the music. It's the Holy Spirit. It's Ziba. It's the Holy Spirit who's finding us and carrying us and bringing us and sitting us, if we'll let him, around the table. And that's so, so amazing. Number six, we've all been given a brand new address. You see, Mephibosheth's address was Lodibar, Makia. You know, that's where I live and I'm a dead dog and I live in this place called Barren and I live in this place called No Land and I live in this place called Sold and I'm a dead dog and I've got labels and stigma and Dave says, oh, no, 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 no. You live in the palace now, mate. You're living in the prison or in your head, but I've invited you to the palace. And Peter puts it this way in this beautiful set of verses. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness, out of Lodabar, out of Machia, into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, that was your old address, okay? Once you were there, now you're not. Now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Not only mercy, but grace as well. We've been given a brand new address. Why are we living in a pit when God wants us to live in a palace? Why are we living sold when God says you are saved and set free? And number seven, we all have a seat at the king's table. Can you imagine? Um, I just, I just can't even get my head round of this because, because he comes into the palace, Mephibosheth, and he's like this and, and he's kind of, they're dragging him in or he's, or he's on crutches maybe. And, and David said, no, 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 you've got a seat at my table just like one of my sons or daughters. And, and David had over 20 sons and daughters and some of them were famous like Solomon and Rehoboam and, and um, Absalom and, and Tamar and these really famous princes and princesses and this guy shuffling along is one of them because of the royal invitation from the king guys you have a seat at this table as well I don't know what's keeping you from it today maybe for some of you it's shame and guilt maybe for some of you it's trust you just can't trust God maybe for some of you it's fear you know that was for Mephibosheth I couldn't say it myself there for Mephibosheth it was fear and David had to say, don't fear. He echoes the, the most commonly used term in the whole of the New Testament. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You can sit at the king's table. And I've just written this quote down that I read from, so I can't remember where I found it really, but listen to this. You will trust God only as much as you love him. And you will love him not because you have studied him, but because you have touched him. And he has touched you. And I want to say, on Jubilee Sunday, on Pentecost Sunday, we want to create a little bit of time and space for us to connect with God around the table again. And I don't know how long it's been for you. I've seen some of you today and, oh, I haven't seen you for ages and that's absolutely fine. Some of you, it's the first time you've ever been here. Some of you, you've been here in one of these seats every week for the last however long. doesn't matter. There is a seat at the table for you. And you might say, yeah, yeah, but you don't know my story. You don't know what's going on. I know I don't, but he does. And he sent Ziba, he sent his Holy Spirit to find you where you are 
to carry you because you can't do it yourself and to bring you to the place that the father, the king, always wanted you to be. And here's what's amazing. Can you imagine this little guy in Mephibosheth comes in dragging his feet, okay? And he's dragging his feet and he finally comes and then he says, okay, and there's Solomon and Rehoboam and, uh, and Absalom and Tamar and all of the other princes and princesses. Solomon's reading books, do you know what I mean? Because he's so wise and he's intimidated. But when he gets and he sits down and he brings his feet under the table, nobody can see that he's crippled in both of his feet because to everyone else, he just looks like one of the sons and daughters. Isn't that amazing? And on this Jubilee weekend, when we celebrate Her Majesty and we say, thank you so much for your service, your faithful service to us for over seven decades. When we think about all that, that's amazing. But do you know what? You have been given a royal invitation, not from Her Majesty the Queen, but from His Majesty the King of Kings. So, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with that? Maybe for some of you today, you say, do you know what? That's just too good to be true. If you knew what a wreck my life was like, this is too good to be true. But it is true. It is. You might say, but I'm too bad for it to be true. You're not too bad for it to be true. Because Jesus, God said, I'm going to take all of the badness from everybody, place it on my son Jesus in order that I can bring every person who wants to, to come around the table with me. You might say, but I'm too hurt for it to be true. I've just been hurt. I've been hurt by life. I've been hurt by church. I've been hurt by relationships. Maybe you have, but your place of healing Please hear me out. I hadn't planned to say this, but I just believe God has given me this to say. Your place of healing is not to stay where you are, but to get around that table. Because when you get around that table with the King and you start eating and drinking of His goodness, that's when healing comes. So many of us stay in Lodibar. We stay in Machia. We stay in those places. And God invites us by His Spirit to come and to change our address and to get a different seat at a different table. So I want to invite you today to come to the table, okay? And we are going to take communion in a moment. As you see, I've got the little pot of communion that you've all been given as well. But before we do that, I've asked Dan and Sean if they would sing over us today, sing something to us from God. And, and as they sing this song, I, I want you just to imagine, we're going to leave that there, okay, so that you can just look at that chair. And I want you to imagine yourself carried to the table by God's Spirit. Don't kick and scream. Don't push back. Allow Him to carry you today and receive again from the goodness of God. Let me pray for you. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible story written, you know, and happened so many centuries ago in another culture, in another world almost. And yet it is so up to date and real and relevant. And we see ourselves in Mephibosheth so much, born into royalty, damaged by a fall, living in a place of brokenness and barrenness found and carried and brought and seated around a table with the, with the sons and the daughters, called a son and a daughter, all because of the invitation of the King. God, help us 
Holy Spirit, I pray on this Pentecost Sunday, may we allow you to carry us again to the table. And I pray that some healing will happen today. I pray that some hurts will drop away today. I pray for some shame to disappear in Jesus' Name. I pray for some chains of guilt and fear to be broken in Jesus' Name as we allow You to carry us to the table with our issues, with our brokenness, with our damage, with our wounds, with our scars. And as we sit around the table with You, may we receive and experience Your healing and Your forgiveness and Your grace as you carry us and seat us at your table. In Jesus' name, Amen.